What's going on, everyone? Mike O back with another episode of Hobby Talk. It's been a while, been over a month, but I'm excited to be back. Looking forward to this episode where I'll be talking to Nolan Klein. Nolan runs Cardboard Futures on eBay. Great eBay page you can check out. Nolan can talk a little bit about that in a little while. He also is the owner of the popular YouTube channel EliteCo3. So with all that being said, very happy to bring Nolan aboard. Nolan, how you doing today? Hey, Mike. How's it going, man? Great to be on the, the uh, podcast and talk about the hobby today. Yeah, it's always a good day when you get to talk about the hobby and getting to talk to you about it is uh, extra special. It's a lot of fun. Um, we broadcast this on SoundCloud, iTunes, and YouTube. So we will de- we will be talking about the YouTube community and YouTube for sure later on after we talk a little bit about investing in the hobby, grading cards, breaking wax, we're going to actually answer some questions from the YouTube community. I had posted a video earlier today uh, before recording this, and we got a few questions, so we'll be answering all that. But before we get too involved in all the hobby discussion, Nolan, uh, you want to talk a little bit about Cardboard Futures and your YouTube channel, Elite Co. 3? So yeah, I've uh, been... Uh, selling on uh, on uh, eBay for years and years now, and I've kind of grown the store and added more items as time has gone on, and um, kind of moved from a basic store up to an anchor. And I got a special deal on pricing to add more items. And uh, basically, I've just tried to. Uh, it, to me, part of the fun I have in the hobby is being able to list a card, sell it, pack it, and then see the feedback of somebody getting a card that they wanted and see that they're happy. And I always place a lot of, uh, I always complain about shipping and I, I like to see cards shipped safely. So, um, I just, I spent a lot of time trying to build that store up. So I'm, I am proud of where it's at right now. And, uh, as for the uh, YouTube channel, that's been, uh, I've been doing that since 2010. So I just passed the, uh, eight year mark on that. And, uh, it was kind of one of those things where, when I first filmed the video, I thought this this is so weird. Why am I taping myself talking about my cards? And as time went on, and I posted more and more videos, I kind of I was starting to get some more subscribers and people watching the content. And I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. There's there's other people out there doing this too, um, and it's just kind of grown. You know, it's it's really picked up. I just hit uh, one million channel views, which is 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 nuts for me to think about. And uh, should be close to 3,000 subs soon. I, I don't, I mean, it's nice to have subs and people watching, but I don't get too obsessed with that. So that's kind of where I'm at in the hobby right now. Yeah. When you had mentioned the other day, I was watching your video and you mentioned a million and it's just like one of those numbers and you're like, you stop there for a second and think about it. Like 1 million, that that's a big number <laughs> to have people watch. But I think one of the uh, beauties of YouTube videos, social media in general Um, Instagram has taken off and Facebook and even Twitter, there's all kinds of stuff. Like there's a lot of information beyond just websites on social media about this hobby. But I've always found YouTube to be, um, you get a lot of personality out of it and you know, there's variations in the type of videos out there, but a lot of them are very informative. Your channel is a shining example of that where people can go and watch and they can get some entertainment and they can learn a lot about the hobby and they can get ideas of cards they might want to collect or better ways to spend their money or whatever it is. But 
I just think um, it, it's great that people have that outlet to share what they have, and then people have that ability to then consume that uh, information that people put out there. So I think it just works on both ends. So I I do always encourage people to check out uh, people making videos on YouTube. I think it's it's just a great way to to kind of enhance the collecting experience and kind of grow knowledge um, beyond just running out to local shows and all that type of stuff, you know, all the uh, different ways you can kind of enjoy the hobby. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for a, a new niche or something fun to do with the hobby. And I think um, as time has gone on, I've uh, learned a lot from the people that, that watch my videos. They'll, they'll drop a comment into a, uh, the comment section of a video and I'll just kind of sit there for a second and be like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a great idea. So, um, as much as I love to help collectors, I think they're constantly helping me too. And I love to go around and browse different channels out. It seems like in the past two or three months, we've had a lot of new people making content on uh, YouTube. So it's been nice to see some new channels coming up, but, um, it's just kind of, I, I, I have a, so much fun, uh, making the videos and, uh, seeing the comments and just kind of, you know, t- letting people know that I am uh, uh, reading what they're saying. And it um, it just works well on uh, both ends. Yeah, it's a lot of fun for sure. And just bouncing real quickly back to the eBay store, I think uh, one of the great things, one of the great things about this time that we're in now, this digital age and being able to buy and sell online, as you know, and as I'm sure people out there listening know, uh, this is a fun hobby, but it can be a very expensive hobby, um, specifically if you're breaking wax, which we'll get into at some point. But it's great to have an outlet to kind of turn some stuff over. And that doesn't mean you're not a collector if you sell some stuff. You know, you have people who this is their complete livelihood and they buy and sell, and that's fine. Um, that's all part of the business. Without people doing that, you wouldn't have uh, cards to purchase. But I think being able to have a store like that, you're able to, you know, kind of have fun with the hobby, kind of pick up some stuff at good prices, you know, sell it, like you said, give an experience to the buyer, provide a great service. And then in turn, um, you then have more funds to kind of invest in the hobby for yourself for either your own collection or other stuff that you may want to sell. And it's an outlet if you do break wax to kind of sell off what you don't necessarily need for your collection. So um, I do think eBay has been a fantastic tool over the years. And I think eBay is struggling a little bit overall just as a site because they have so much competition with Amazon and other retailers. But I do think um, it's probably one of the number one places to go, if not the number one place to go looking for cards. I mean, it's still a huge outlet. I know there are other companies but ebay and ebay stores are definitely a place to check out totally you know um i think um i want to touch a little bit on wax and breaking wax and you know the the big question is always is it worth it and a lot of people know that uh i'm honestly i would say 75 to 85 percent of the time you're probably going to lose money if you decide to break wax but i think you, you have to take that with a uh grain of salt and uh, weigh some of the positives that you get from the wax. Part of breaking wax is just fun. So you are paying, like if when you go out to a baseball game, you're paying for the enjoyment, the 
the entertainment aspect of it. And I think we get lost in, you know, did I break even? Did I hit that big auto? Did I get, you know, that, did I do well on this case? And yeah, it's great to break a good case and get some great cards, but I think you, there's a lot of fun that goes into breaking a case. And to me, it's fun to soar. It's fun to, to list, to sell. And, uh, I think that's what I, I have the most fun breaking wax doing that. Um, and it's just, um, it's a topic that we, we could talk about for hours, you know, people that don't break, that do break, um, people that say they're going to stop and then they start back up. So, um, and then back to this, uh, selling cards on, uh, my store on eBay, I, I think, um, the only prob- the problem I see with it, the only problem I can see is there's just so much product out there that I think a lot of the pro- the stuff that I do list just gets lost in the shuffle. And that's just because there's so much competition, so many products each year, and there's only so much money to go around in the hobby. And so, so, there's only so many collectors that want this card or that card. So I think that's part of the, part of the struggle with selling, uh, selling on eBay. And I do think eBay is a very, and you can, you can say this for the entire hobby, but eBay specifically is a very, what have you done for me lately type of market. Of course, you have the vintage stuff and that kind of the high vintage, the high end stuff is going to hold its price. You have a lot of other vintage, lesser known players that sometimes if they go to auction, you can get at a complete steal. Uh, But the current day players, it's like, you know, a guy's on fire for two weeks and the price soars, you know, two, three hundred percent. And then he has a, you know, two week stretch where he goes hitless and those prices can drop incredibly fast. There's, it's not a real stable market at times, especially for these, uh, for the modern day players. No, it's very, uh, I, I trade, uh, futures, which is, uh, uh, kind of like stocks. So I see a lot of, uh, volatility, you know, stuff going up and down. And, um, it's just kind of when I'm looking at sports cards, it's just, they just are so, uh, similar when I see it, you know, like, um, let's, let's throw out a couple of players and, uh, use some examples like uh, Juan Soto, the uh, Nationals uh, 19-year-old player. Um, his stuff has just really spiked uh, recently. And, you know, a lot of people think it might be too late to hop on that train. But um, if he turns out to be the type of player that it looks like he could be, you know, his base chromes could be five, $600. And I think that's that might be where they're heading. But um, it's just kind of crazy how quick stuff can r- jump and move in this day and age of uh, people with a laptop or an iPad in front of them and throwing down bids right and left. Yeah. I mean, you can lay in bed and just bid on stuff on your phone. Like it's, it's right at your fingertips. There's no doubt about that. And it's, it's really interesting to see how player movement works. Um, I guess, uh, what do you want to start with talking a little bit about investing in the hobby, like the Juan Soto thing or breaking wax either way, they kind of enter, uh, they're kind of intertwined yeah. a little bit. So there are some products, baseball products that just came out. Uh, Top's finest was a product that I almost bought a case of, but I just didn't, didn't do it. And then Top's uh, series two just dropped this week for uh baseball. And um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge, like just base, give me a base rookie and, and I'll try to slab it, turn a $2 card into a $20 card. And I have a lot of fun doing that. And uh, they, they made a uh, glider and, Acuna uh, short printed, which I wasn't a huge fan of that. So that kind of turned me off. And I think they also made uh, Shohei a short print too. So 
passed on that, but I'll probably end up doing some boxes just because I love basic tops. But I think um, back to the the wax thing, it just, I mean, I'm definitely going to be buying some football products here soon as we get closer to summer. So I'll be busting more wax for sure. Yeah, I like basic tops guards. To me, I just love the history of tops and the evolution of um, that specific product. I'm a big fan when products last. I mean, there's so many products that come and go, and they make them for two, three years, and then they disappear. So I'm going to break a little bit of tops for sure. Um, I'll definitely break a blaster just for fun, and I think I'll probably break like a jumbo box. I'm not going to go crazy with it, um, but I use... I like putting together a few pages of a binder. I basically kind of, I like to have a binder every year. And when I open a product, I'll put together one, two, three pages out of it just with cards I like, you know, make some use out of it. Um, get that enjoyment out of breaking the product, going through the cards. I do think a product like Tops, even though there's a lot of commons in it, it kind of puts the, puts some names around baseball kind of in your mind, just watching it and going through it. Um, so I, I like that. I'm a big fan of Topps Finest generally. I'm not saying that it's worth paying 140 or $150 a box at all because I've opened a few boxes, and they're nice cards, but they're tough this year. Um, fortunately, eBay had their 20% off sale a couple weeks ago, so there was a, or a week ago, whatever it was, so there was some opportunity to get some Finest boxes at 20% off the going rate, so that wasn't bad. That's something that's a tip to look look out for if you're an eBay shopper. <laughs> eBay's been doing yeah. a lot of deals, like way more often than they used to, which makes me think that they're really trying to uh, get those sales numbers up a little bit. But Yeah, they, they really take care of their buyers and kind of leave the sellers out in the cold sometimes. Happens from time to time for sure. Um, but breaking wax, just in general, um, obviously you have these new products that come out, right? And you have all these chasers and the hot rookies and all that stuff. And there's so many things in a product. There's colored parallels and autographs and one-of-ones, which they've overdone to death. Um, but that can certainly be fun and that can be expensive. But something that you've gotten really into and uh, I've really enjoyed watching and following is when you get into some of the vintage breaks you'll break products either from early nineties, mid nineties, late nineties, whatever. Um, if it's affordable. And I think that's something that I've gotten into from time to time. I haven't done as much as you. Um, but there is some people will say like, Oh, that's junk wax. There's no value to it. Well, again, the value it's how do you equate value? Cause you have monetary value and you have, entertainment value and i think those products and i'm guessing you'll agree you get some entertainment value you have fun breaking stuff from your youth breaking stuff from when you were younger kind of that nostalgic feeling um getting that and then you do have some monetary value i'm not saying they're you're not going to pull a ten thousand dollar card but you can kind of increase the value if you can find some candidates to have slabbed grade it increase some value there and you know, you can still get Flap some cans. rookies and stuff like that. Totally. You know, I, um, th that's kind of been one of my ventures here. It's probably been a couple of years I've been doing the older wax. You know, I'll, I'll delve into the, the 80s. Um, I usually stop around 1983, 84. It gets pretty pricey when you get to uh, Tony Gwynn and Boggs' rookie year in 83. So um, I think 
so if I'm paying ten or fifteen dollars for a box from say a '93 Donruss box, you know, there's there's some still some cool cards you can pull from there. There's some Diamond Kings cards, which I think are great looking cards. And if you hit the right player and it's in the right condition, I mean, Griffey or Thomas, I mean, I've I've seen that Griffey sell for forty, fifty bucks in a ten. So I mean, there's there's crazy value to be had in some of these junk wax products. Um, I always obviously look out for the the Hall of Famers, and I just kind of set a pile aside and I'll just kind of, you know, I, you don't want to just send stuff in to send it in. You want to have a purpose and kind of know what you're doing with the cards and the sets. And, you know, if you can pull up a picture of, of the set and see what a PSA 10 uh, looks like, and then kind of compare your, your copy to that. I, I do that sometimes. So I, I just think there's so much fun to be had and there are ways to get some value out of those junk wax products but i mean the way products are now i think you know you could say the products coming out in 2018 there's a lot of junk wax out there i mean they make so much of it that uh i just have a fun time busting stuff that harkens me straight back to my childhood yeah and the old stuff can certainly more affordable it's kind of amazing because i feel like this year and last year they're generally out of control um price wise these new products oh, yeah. i feel like bef- two years totally. ago you know it's still pricey and expensive but last year with the judge craze was out of control and i thought all right next year things will normalize a little bit and then you had the otani craze which we'll see how long that lasts based on what kind of news comes out over the next two weeks official news um but either way you have torres now with the yankees and acuna uh coming out in future products the prices are still going to be astronomical. So you have to really decide and kind of, I'm someone who likes to not open every product, but open like a box of most of the kind of, yeah, I think that's the, nice the products that, that like Chrome fine and all that stuff where you get something. I, I like stuff like tier one and five star and they make some beautiful cards, but at a certain point it's like, all right, a hundred bucks to most likely get two $5 cards. Generally speaking, <laughs> you're definitely better True. off with singles. Um, those are the products that maybe I consider for group breaks occasionally, if there's enough in it that I might want for a certain team. But I think, um, that's a reason to look at some of the older stuff like you have, or even retail products, retail. I I prefer hobby, but certain products, you know, tops Chrome coming out this year, you might be better off doing some retail if you can find it at the right price. Totally. If, if you're just looking for, you know, you're not too obsessed with the, the autos and such, because I mean, it's going to be tough to pull a nice auto, even out of the finest. I'm sure they'll get that uh, watered down and produce a ton of product of that with the strong rookie class. So I think if you're just into some clean base rookies that you want to send off and get slabbed, I think there's a lot of value to be had from the uh, retail this year. Um, and a player that we should, I mean, we, we need to mention uh, Soto too. I talked about him a little bit before, but he's, he's really starting to come into his own. He is 19. It's a small sample, but he might, he might be the reason the nationals balk on giving Harper, you know, 250 million, 300 million. So I think um, this is an incredibly strong class of rookies. So I'm, I'm excited for some of the the products coming out towards the rest of the year, but I'm with Mike and not breaking like five star and tier one, because to go back to the, uh, when you're paying money to open cards up, it's not all, it's not all about, okay, what, what can I get back? Was it a good investment? It's about having fun. And when you break a box and there's five cards in the box, it's a pretty short rush. You know, you, you want your, your high, so to say, to, to last a little bit longer than that. 
Yeah, and like I said, with the products like tops, like so, I kind of do everything in the hobby. There's not much that I don't at least dabble in. So when I break, say, a jumbo box of a 2018 Top Series Two, I'm gonna open the box. I'm gonna have fun going through the cards. I'll go through and pull out nine to. 27 cards, throw them in a binder, just toss them there. Then I'll go through and pull out a few that I can get autographed via TTM or if there's any in-person autograph opportunities. Then I'll go through and grab Phillies for my team set. Then I'll go through and go through the inserts, and I usually just sell all the inserts because I just I don't really care about the basic kind of insert stuff. There's, from time to time, an insert set that interests me, but that's just not my thing. I'd, I'd rather have the base cards. Then you have the autographs, so... I mean, I think it's into it's what you're into, but for me, I have all those different aspects that I get enjoyment out of it. And now, uh, my father in the last year or two, we collected together when I was younger, and then he was out of it. And he just recently, he retired a couple years ago, so now he's gotten into it a little bit again. So now I kind of get that opportunity to kind of open stuff with him a little bit once in a while. And next thing you know, you feel like you're like 10 years old again opening uh opening some stuff so that that's why i'm i'm pro uh opening wax now i understand it can be an addiction and you have to be smart you can't buy six cases or something because you're going to get hammered unless you get really really lucky but it's not gonna it's generally speaking not gonna happen but like you said um you know it's all about what you can do with it and and like you I will go through cards and see what I can get graded and that's just like a whole another process which we'll talk about shortly but you know that's just another aspect of what you can do with your break you then have that challenge of going through things and seeing how you do with that and that can add value which uh can kind of be considered an investment in the hobby totally you know I think um if you do know what you're doing, which I've seen your PSA orders and you almost, almost run the table. And I think you have ran the table a few times on like 50 or 60 cards, which is pretty incredible from somebody that, that sends off. So I think if you do know what you're doing, you have a good eye, maybe use some tools, get some lights involved. Um, if you are breaking uh, modern stuff and you do use the bulk option that PSA offers, you can really up the, the return of your boxes or your, your cases. If, if, you know, if you know how to get PSA 10s, you know how to sell them and stuff. And you, you can also have a lot of fun. You can, you can keep some, sell them. Um, I think a lot of people just br- break their boxes and just kind of don't utilize that aspect in the hobby that can offer you so much. And that's what I found throughout the last, I've, I've been slabbing since 2010 now. Um, I think that's just some, something that all people that break wax or collect uh, should know about you know grading and you know if you like beckett too you, you can use beckett um i just don't think there's as much value to be had with their uh service uh currently yeah and that's just another aspect of the hobby and there's some people who just love their raw cards and they're totally not in the grading and that's fine that's one of the great things about this hobby there's so many things you can do you can buy singles you can buy wax you can do a combination you can collect cards and binders you can collect just players teams sets um just randomly you can collect autos relics <laughs> rookies uh, hall of famers current players old players pre-war post-war it's it's almost yeah. endless but uh let's uh get into grading a little bit we'll talk about that since we briefly mentioned it obviously you have some different options out there you have psa you have 
Beckett, you have SGC. Um, obviously, I think a lot of people out there listening to this know that we're both kind of definitely pro PSA. We both use PSA a lot. Um, do you have any thoughts on SGC? Um, I actually, they're actually my uh, second favorite service currently. Um, I've only sent to them once though, um, because I mean, all my stuff just goes to PSA. I have a good deal that I get on my, uh, large orders, but I do like their slab. I, I think they're consistent. Um, their pricing is pretty similar to PSA and, uh, secondary value on PSA stuff. It, it sells for a lot more than, you know, it's a, there's a big price increase when you compare like an SGC 98 to a PSA 10. So, I mean, I, I have to go with PSA, but, um, you know, I, I think they definitely do great in the, uh, vintage card market too. Yeah. There's no doubt people who do vintage specifically pre-war just love them. Um, I don't mind their holders. I'm not in love with them. Like other people, a lot of people love the black border. Um, it's okay. I, I guess it certainly works for certain cards. Um, I think their holders a little, it's a little wide, a little large for me, but overall it's nice. And I think it is well respected. I don't really hear many people knock SGC at all. Uh, Beckett, on the other hand, you have a lot of people who love Beckett and that's fine. I just, I'm personally not a big fan of them. I, I don't like the holders. I mean, they're strong, which is good, but they just seem so clunky, bulky, pointy. Totally. You know, Um, I think they have the, they have the, uh, strongest holder by far um but yeah to me they're they're a little too big um and i just when i when i hold a psa slab it just feels right that sounds kind of weird saying it but back at holder just i don't know it just doesn't it doesn't feel right and that, that's just a personal preference yeah and it's definitely a preference i do so i like the option of being able to see why it got the grade but i kind of wish It'd be nice if PSA had something where if you typed in the number, you could look at it on the site. I don't really need to see that on the slab itself. I actually think I kind of preferred when Beckett had it on the back. But uh, totally. either way, I I don't know. I just – I don't really necessarily – I take their grades kind of with a grain of salt. I have – I might – I've been thinking about making a video on it at some point. It's not a big card. It's yeah, a that'd Chase be a great U- video. It's a Chase Utley rookie card that I bought one time cheap, and it's a Beckett 9.5 Gem Mint. And I look at the card, and it's a black-bordered Bowman card. I can't even remember what year it is. It must be, I don't know, 2000, 2001, I forget, offhand. Um, 2001. But it's got, like, this white chip on the right side, on the edge. And I just look at it, and it stands out so far, and I'm like, that's just not – I. it doesn't take me two seconds to say, this is not what I consider a gem mint card. Like, a gem mint card should look perfect for sure. Maybe there could be some minor def- minor flaw, defect somewhere, but, like, I just look at it, and I'm like, that's – to me, that's not a gem mint card, so it shouldn't be labeled as a gem mint card. But that that's just kind of my thoughts on that. Um, You know, people like Beckett, and I just – it is what it is. People can enjoy it. I respect their uh, authentication services for the autographs. I still don't like their cases that they use, but I don't know. The grading itself, I just kind of – I'm not a huge fan of. Um, yeah, I think you can say the same for PSA. You know, I've seen some PSA cards where I'll be at a show or I'll get one in person and it says PSA 10 gem on the 
on the case, you know, and then I'll, you know, I, I always take a look at the card too. Does the card match the grade that it got? And, you know, I, there's certain things that I like to see, you know, like, like you said, with the Utley, if you have a gem and card, you shouldn't have a crazy flaw like that. And I think that can, I think Beckett, the, the problem I have with Beckett nine fives is the nine, five, nine, five, nine, five, nine. So when you get one of the subgrades that has a nine, I think the flaw on those is too big to, still have the card as a gem man like you might have a a, a nine surface and if I don't bust them out but I'm, I'm sure there's like a scratch that it shouldn't warrant a, a gem mint card or if you get a corners nine and you have a if you check the back I've, I've seen a lot of these before and the, the the corner is just it's not mangled but it's just pushed in enough to where that's it's not a gem mint card to me you know it's, it's as collectors we have to find cards that we truly feel match our perception or what 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 we think a gem mint card is and not just buy the slab blindly and totally trust the process because people that are slabbing these cards are, are human so they're definitely going to make errors it's kind of like an ump in baseball they don't make all the right calls and i think people that's that are doing the slabbing they have a tough job they're think of all the cards they have and they're backed up there's pressure on them they're not going to get all these grades correctly. I mean, I've had PSA nine cards that I still think are perfect and they got the nine and not the 10. I'm not going to cry and moan about it, but you just have those feelings still. And I think Beckett has also, I, I, I talk about this in my videos. I, I think they use like a niche to try to compete with PSA tens and they, they have the PSA 10 pristine slab, which is, and those do sell for more than PSA tens. And then I think they got a little greedy and they went for the black label slab, which is all 10. So that's the black label. And they might be coming out with like a purple label soon, but I think they just create new niches to compete in the uh, market. Yeah. And they're definitely very popular, especially with the younger crowd. People love getting their autographed Bowman, Bowman Chrome cards uh, slabbed by them. So, I mean, it's all about what people like. I think PSA still is the dominant force in the grading realm i think they're very well uh trusted they've been around for a long time i think generally people like their slabs um certainly their registries have really enhanced the value and the collectability of the psa cards oh yeah so i mean registries are big i know we have a question i think coming up from uh one of one of the listeners out there on that so i'm not going to get too much into the registries but uh, in terms of grading, we already kind of mentioned it when we were talking about busting wax, but you know the thing about grading is it does it can add value to your collection. It can enhance your collection to a degree if you're into grading. Again, if you're not into it, you're not into it. But uh, for me, when you grade a card, you kind of get that grade on it. And yeah, it can vary from time to time. I think overall they do a very good job with it, but like you said, they are human beings, so... Not everything's going to be perfect every time, but if you're integrated and slabbed cards, you're having that card encased, you're having it protect it, you're adding eye appeal to it with the holder, you're adding the ability to register the card, and if you have a high grade, and it all depends on the era of card, of course. To me, like the very modern products, as in stuff this year, like for me personally, I want it as a 10. Um... But as you go further back and cards get, you know, handled over time, you accept lower grades. Um, you know, nine can be fine, too. Um, to me, anything below a nine for a brand new product is just 
not good at all, but there is certainly value to be added in your collection, and that's one of the reasons a lot of people enjoy grading. But it's also a challenge. It's fun. It's uh, it's something to do. It. I, I like to tell people, because um, some people I'll see, they'll get a card graded, and they'll come back like an eight, and they'll say, I pulled this right out of the pack. Well, in theory, <laughs> it's brand new. So, yes, like in theory, it should be perfect. But I think that's, a lot of uh... people who aren't used to grading – don't realize like I open a lot of stuff, brand new stuff, and I will see surface scratches and scuffs or little bends. Like just because you pull it out of a pack doesn't automatically mean it's a ten. So you definitely want to look over your cards. Um, so that's part of it. You can add value, but you can really kind of lose value if you spend a lot of money and aren't smart about it. Yeah, to uh, jump on that point, there's a there's a guy who made a video about a year ago, and he's kind of my hero because he sent in like a hundred Griffey. I watched that video 89 at upper some point. De- 89 upper decks. And I think he, he said he pulled them all from packs and he was just getting frustrated because he kept getting sixes and sevens. And I think the one thing that he forgot to do is first uh, take a look at the cards, but um, cards that come, you know, I bust a lot of that older junk wax um, product and cards that come out of the pack. There's definitely no guarantee you're getting gem mint cards. Um, the back of them can be creased. They can have scratches and scuffs, like you said. And I'm sure with those grippies, there was something going on on, on the back. Um, it was probably like a, um, not like a crease, but something on the edge that was causing those to uh, get those grades. So even the um, holograms I, I, are really sensitive on those. You can yeah, lose a point or two on that, them. That's something else I've seen. I've I've seen PSA tens with like a chipped uh, hologram, and if I if that happens to me, I just sell it because to me it's not a diamond card. Um, but I think back to the uh, uh, getting stuff graded, you know, I think what people need to understand is if you are getting stuff slabbed and you don't get the grade you, you wanted, um, the card still has money. So this is kind of an example of something that happened in my store. So I do try to slab a lot of the older, nineties uh, wax and it was a Ken Griffey Jr. Just a base Don Ross, right? This is a 25 cent card. And I was obviously going for a 10 on it and it came back in eight. So I was like, okay, so I put it in my store. A couple months later, it sells for five fifty, and that's about the price I paid to get a slab. So to me, I think people want want the slab. They they want to like they're purchasing the slab and the card. They want the look of that. They want to add it to their uh, PSA registry. So I think even when you don't get the grade that you sought after, there's a lot so many times where you can still break even, and you you get the enjoyment of those cards coming back, which is pretty much like Christmas morning as a 12 year old when the cards do come back. So that, that's kind of my take on slabbing. Yeah. And it's definitely a challenge There's a challenge to it. So when you're, when you do get that back, like you said, you can be a kid on Christmas morning and you're excited to see how you did. Like, and I've gone through stages where I'm, I go crazy with it and I spend so much time looking over things and it usually pays off. But then I think to myself, you got to tell me about your uh, <laughs> process. I think <laughs> to myself this. how many hours I spend looking at stuff. But okay. then uh, I, but then on top of that, like time. sometimes I'll sit there and go, How many tens did I throw back in the box? So Yeah. Totally. You gotta like I've lightened up a little bit, so you'll see a few more come back recently that have been nines. But you know, like you said, there is still value to them. It's just you know, if it's new, usually I mean I spend 
you spend a lot of money getting this done. So usually anything that's not a 10, like I'll get a lot of Mike Trouts done, just base inserts, whatever. I just, I like collecting Trouts. So if I can get some 10s for my collection, I'll keep them. If I get nines, I usually just sell them and you either get your money back or maybe a couple bucks more or whatever, but it's just a lot of fun. It's definitely a challenge. It doesn't, you know, obviously, even with the new products, of course, it's easier to get a 10 than it is for a product that's 10, 20, 30 years old, for sure. There's no doubt about it, but it's still not guaranteed. And that's what I like to kind of let people know, because um, I feel like some people will watch your videos and be like, man, you got all these 10s. And it's like, you can get 10s, too. You just have to look at them. I just tell people, I'm like, yeah, Listen, you just have to spend some time on them. I just, I look at the centering both sides. I look at the corners both sides. I look at the edges. I look at the surface pretty good. And you do want decent lighting. You don't want too much light, but I have a few camera lights and I'll just flip them on so you get a nice, as long as you don't have the glare. And I mean, I'm used, I'm personally used to looking like into great detail from stuff for stuff. So I think some people think they're being detailed when they look at things and then they just kind of roll over a lot of stuff and that's how you can miss things. Um, But it's a challenge. It's fun. And there's certainly added, you know, there's value to be added to your collection, no doubt about it with grading. So it's something that I'm into. It's not for everyone, but it's definitely for you and me. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. There's uh, from a person that buys a lot of cards raw, you know, and tries to find, slab cans or cards to get graded um i think the sweet spot for buying cards raw is the stuff that uh you know cards that are sell for 20 bucks or less i think when you get higher than that the cards have been picked over looked more closely um and i have a really really hard time buying like mid end cards and actually having like a solid candidate that can even get like a nine so um that's why you won't see as many mid-end or high-end orders for me and a lot of times when i do send those in I'm just trying to get the card slabbed and protected. And that's why you'll see me pull a lot of eights and seven fives. And to me, it doesn't bother me because it's protected and I didn't have high expectations. Like I'll always use that term in my videos. Like I didn't have a high expectation for this. Like if I, like I didn't expect a 10, I, I I knew there was no way I was going to get a 10. So when the eight comes back, I'm totally fine with it. And you, you you can't expect a 10 on every card because and a lot of the stuff I send in, they're pretty challenging sets. So a lot of times I'm stoked to get a nine. So that's just kind of my whole uh, sentiment on it. Yeah, and I know you were buying a lot of the uh, Stanton Topps Chrome rookies because I was buying some back mm. in the winter time, And I would look them over and I'd be like, I want to get a nine on one of these. And needless to say, I didn't even send a single one in because I think those cards are just, I guess that's, what, 2010? His tops chrome. Twenty ten. Yeah, they're they very sensitive. That was a year. A lot of a lot of scratches uh, top, on those. They're uh, yeah, their quality control in twenty ten was not very good. Twenty ten Bowman Chrome. I always talk about this in the videos. It's got like a filmy residue. Like even if you try to get the surface clean, it's not that it's scratched. It's just that it doesn't get totally clean, and that's just the way the chrome is that year. And with the the Topps Chrome Stantons, yeah, I, I probably have picked up 10 to 15. And I think I'm only sent in one because they're either off-centered or they're just – the surface, is it's going to be an 8. You just know it's going to be an 8. Yeah, it's definitely a tough set. I th- forget. I think I bought a few refractors and five or six of the base cards, and I was just like, eh, they're probably 8s at best, so I didn't send them. Uh talking about Stanton a little bit we talk a little bit about investing in the hobby and 
Um, you know, there's a lot of ways to collect and things to invest. If you're into that type of thing, I mean, you can collect and invest at the same time and you can collect things. You know, I collect a lot of Phillies cards that are worthless to the majority of people out there collecting, but to me, they're nostalgic, they're memories, they're, they connect me to family and friends and all kinds of stuff like that. So, you know, that's, that's why we collect for fun and enjoyment, but investing can be fun too. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things you can invest in, you know, obviously rookie cards are very popular and vintage cards are popular because they're part of this hobby, but they're also antiques and there's, you know, so very few that are in great condition because they were just seen as toys and tossed away and beat up and all types of things like that. But I, I think something that adds value to certain players um, is, of course, them becoming Hall of Fame players, becoming legendary players, becoming nostalgic players that people like to collect. And popularity is obviously a big thing. Uh, I think, Nolan, I think everyone kind of respects your opinion on um, hobby investment. You you kind of show off a lot of stuff. You you get into different players. You've been into players in the past. I think you've readily admitted that you're not always right, but you know, you're pretty good overall. I forget who you were mentioning lately. I don't know if it was like a running back uh, or something or you were talking or no, maybe it was Robert Griffin the third. Robert you were Griffin? talking about at one point. Oh. You're like, Yeah, that was a mistake. That was actually my worst investment of all time. It was uh the summer of twenty twenty thirteen, after his uh rookie year. So I bought an exquisite three color RPA for nine hundred. I think I sold it for 75 bucks. So, I mean, that's a crazy, crazy burn. And, you know, obviously there's been great investments that have uh, made up for that, but that's just a, a uh, warning to all collectors out there to not go nuts over these uh, rookie players, unless you think for sure they're going to be great, which there's no way to know for sure. Um, so just kind of temper your expectations with guys like Wentz, even though I think he's going to be pretty special. Yeah, and you don't have to go and buy $900 cards. I know you've been buying a lot of Lindor cards, uh, pretty cheap, um, what, like 3 bucks a piece or something, or maybe a little more. But Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of I think those... deals out there that you can kind of look at and evaluate and go, okay, what does this guy's future look like? And you can kind of, you know, you can invest at a reasonable price and, you know, you can diversify your uh, – your investment too with a few different players and hopefully you know some a couple guys pan out but there's there's a lot of options out there so do you have any um kind of yeah um, advice for you people know, it, this, this goes to people that are prospectors um it's a very it's a very tough game because um there's only so many kids that can make it to the show so i think you can set some rules for yourself like i won't spend more than twenty dollars on a base chrome auto or fifteen dollars and that can kind of help you from spending too much on players that have already moved up you know um everybody wants to buy the next trout chrome auto i think those were going for like 30 or 40 bucks when it came out that's not probably not that's not going to happen so um one of my successes was uh francisco lindor summer of 2015 he was I think he was about to get called up and his Chrome auto was only his base Chrome was 20, 25 bucks. So I scooped up about 20 of those. And I think now it's over a $200 card. So um, it's nice when you don't have to spend, you know, too much on a player and they, they do go up. Uh, obviously I've spent $20 on a Chrome auto and now it's worth $3 and that happens too. But um, for guys that have already 
moved up too much. Like I think Vlad Jr. I'm not touching his Chrome Auto at six seven hundred dollars. I think that's nuts. Uh, Ronald Acuna, he's that that ship sailed. So you can kiss some of those guys goodbye. Um, Albie's at a hundred hundred and twenty. Maybe I'll buy a couple. It still seems kind of high, but I, I think that kid's going to be special. What's fascinating is specifically in the case of Vlad Guerrero Jr. His dad is a Hall of Fame baseball player. He's going to be officially inducted shortly. And yet, his son, who's never played in the majors, stuff is so insane. It's crazy. I had a guy, um, someone, I saw people, um, they were uh, selling like PSA DNA certified Guerrero things. And it's like, I could buy a Vladimir Guerrero senior for like 40 bucks and you want like $300 for a guy who never played in the majors. It is insane. And I'm not saying the kid can't be special. He obviously looks like he's going to be phenomenal, but I think people, like you said, they want to find like the next Mike Trout. They want to find the next card that they're going to spend 20 bucks on and be able to sell for $3,000, $5,000. Yeah, exactly. God knows what. And I think it's just kind of crazy when you take a when you sit back and look at it, like it's just absolutely ridiculous. But you know, people love that thrill. They love um, the thrill of kind of the unknown and what things can be. And I I feel like that's what happens with a lot of guys. Like guys are real hot when they're young, and then at some point, people go, "Oh, this guy's not going to be the greatest of all time." And that's when they kind of their prices deflate a little bit. And then they become affordable. And then at some point, 15, 20 years down the road, people go, oh, that guy's going to end up getting elected to the Hall of Fame. So it starts to rise a little bit. People get into it a little more. And then eventually people realize, okay, this guy's done something special. So then maybe the prices will elevate again a little bit. But the prospecting kind of game can be interesting. And, you know, if you have a connection with a player, it's not bad to invest in them and buy them. But I feel like there's a lot of people who have never seen a guy play and they just kind of go nuts on a guy just based on hearing their name. I mean, I've seen it with a lot of the Phillies prospects and I'm not really super into prospecting guys that I've never seen play, but most of the Phillies recent draft picks, like the first round picks, I mean, they've done okay with later round picks, second round and beyond, but like Mickey Moniak, like he really hasn't done much of anything. I mean, he's played a little better lately. And they've had countless others that, I mean, I remember seeing Mickey Moniak cards going for like 400 bucks. And I'm like, this guy's not going to be in the majors for at least four or five years. You could just tell he wasn't the type of guy who was like going to be up at 19. And he have, um, and then he starts hitting like 230 in single A. And then you just see the prices just slowly uh, drop. Yeah. The thing with him is just to touch on that real quickly, real quickly. Um, does he have speed? Is he a fast guy? Can he can he steal bases? I haven't even looked at his numbers lately. When they were drafting him, they acted like he could be this five tool guy, but yeah, it's just like I don't know. He just hasn't like, really hit for much power or average, and I don't know how the defense has been. Quick. So okay, so he's hitting two fifty four with a two seventy two on base, two hundred nine at bats, uh, one home run, and a two seventy two on base. To me, that has bust. All written all over it because he's got the uh, Jerickson 
profile problem here. He's got he can't really steal bases. He has no power and he can't get an on base percentage. <laughs> it's a recipe for disaster. The thing he has going for him is he's only twenty. So and he's playing in uh, high A, which is a pretty good level for his age. Yeah, another guy was Cornelius Randolph. They drafted a few years ago, and I remember the day they drafted him. And like I didn't know anything about him. I don't really follow uh, college baseball too much nowadays. And I just remember when they drafted him, people were like, he has a chance to be Tony Gwynn. And I can tell you one thing, he ain't going to be Tony Gwynn. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, and I I, uh, I don't want to get into the, the Royals in there. They've probably been the worst drafting team in the last seven or eight years, and that's why they're in the hole that they are right now. But, yeah, I think people just get too hyped up on these kids. Like, Vlad, back to Vlad Jr., um, you know, I've, I've seen his highlights. He looks like he's going to be very, very good. It's just, do you want to spend that much on a kid that hasn't done anything in the pros? Um, I don't know. It's all like people wanting to spend six, 700 and hoping the cards were two or three grand, if that makes sense. Which, I mean, the odds are it's not going to be. Yeah, and if you have the money, you know, by all means do it if that's your thing. But I think you're probably better off making some $20 investments. But, you know, yeah. that's the thing with prospecting. You just never know. It it can be fun. But, you know, you can hit on the right thing. Uh, just want to wrap up kind of talking about investing in the hobby a little bit. Because there's certainly investments to be made. Um, so if you want to give a few thoughts, baseball, football wise, I mean, I think baseball wise, in most cases, you want the guy to guys to be a Hall of Fame caliber player. Um, you have some guys like a Don Mattingly who holds some value. I mean, he's not going to have the value of other guys who are all time legends, but he has a lot of popularity being with the Yankees being like an idol of a lot of people who grew up football wise, though. Obviously, you have occasional defensive players. Um, certain wide receivers, running backs nowadays seem a lot more iffy, but I mean, I think with football, it's probably kind of all in the quarterbacks. Yeah. I think now it's kind of the, the way the league set up the quarterback. So important with the way that passing yards have trended up the last five to seven years. And I think they've kind of, um, they haven't phased out the tailback. He's just not as important. Uh, the 2017 class did have a resurgence with some good players like Alvin Kamara uh, McCaffrey hunt. And, uh, there were some others. I just think if you're going to, it's almost impossible to invest in a tailback because the shelf life's so short. And if you are going to buy a tailback, you almost have to get those cards moved within a year. And that's if you care about the investment part of it, if you don't keep them, but I mean, you're looking at paying $50 for an auto of Kareem hunt now. And in five years, it being worth five to 10 bucks. And that's just, I've, I've seen it so many times with so many players. Um, I could just go down the list. Derry McFadden in 2008, um, Larry Johnson, 2003 rookie, um, 2002 Portis. I mean, you, you can just go year by year. And the only people I can say that, that didn't happen to is uh, Tomlinson in 2001 and Peterson in 2007. Although, yes, his stuff has dropped a lot, but it does, does still have value. Yeah, and the last two you mentioned will be Hall of Famers, um, or Tomlinson yeah. already is. But, uh, you know, I, that's the case there. They go down as legendary guys. And, of course, Peterson's in a down spiral right now because he's bouncing around different teams. He's kind of out, of out of sight, out of mind. But I think there'll be a resurgence at some point. Not a crazy one, but yeah. I think he'll gain collectability once he's not, you know, 
an active player in all honesty, kind of putting on jerseys. He's one of those guys who just doesn't look right in a non-Vikings uniform. But running back wise now is so tough because they're splitting carries or like you said, that they're just in and out of the league in three, four years or out of relevance, really. I mean, you went through that stage where you had, you know, those greats like Barry Sanders and Emmett Smith and then you know, you kind of have new classes come by, but it seems like kind of been missing the great, the greats, the long-term guys, the guys who put up the crazy numbers in recent years. So it's really shifted to those quarterbacks. And of course it's become a passing league. Um, so you have the Brady, which is, you know, not something you're going to see every day. Um, Cause he didn't have, I mean, he has a ton of rookie cards, but you know, one of the things with him, it can be tougher to find the really well-kept cards because he was tossed in a lot of common boxes in all uh, in all fairness and then you have guys like breeze and rogers who were surefire hall of famers and people mention in you know top 10 lists and stuff and then you have other classes of guys so it it does seem like the quarterbacks are the way to go but still it kind of depends what you want to put your money in because no quarterbacks a guarantee for sure i mean you have guys like Robert Griffin the third who are on top of the world and people are talking about as you know is he one of the best and next thing you know he's in training camp uh, you know competing for a backup spot yeah totally you know i think um the uh smart money is on quarterbacks and then probably wide receivers there is some hobby on the defensive side of the ball for certain players like um Palomalu uh Raven safety Ed Reed, you know, there is some, some hobby there for select defensive players, um, offensive linemen. I mean, it's, <laughs> there's not much hobby there at all. So I think your best bet is to buy quarterbacks that have been in, you know, been in the league for six to eight years, have established themselves are on track to probably be a hall of famer, you know, like current quarterbacks. I think you could start to buy would be like, Matt Ryan, I think he'll probably be a Hall of Famer. Rivers, Eli, Roth. I mean, these are all pretty, not like tough finds for people, but I think people think too hard sometimes when they're investing in football cards. I mean, I think Breeze and Brady are still great buys. I think they only have room to go up in the future as they pad their stats and get more records. Yeah, it's incredible um, how many quarterbacks can be out there. And like you said, people do try and overthink things, and they're trying to – get the bargain before it goes crazy. I know Derek Carr stuff was flying up at one point, then it kind of regressed. I'm not sure where it is now. Um, I, th- I think the Raiders added some added some weapons for him, but, you know, people are trying to jump on that guy before. I mean, now you have Jimmy Garoppolo, who has looked really good. <laughs> I was but, about to mention his but, name. But what's he played like? He started like two games, six games, a game and a half in New England, and what, six games for San Francisco, and his stuff is like ridiculous. Mark my words, his stuff will be much lower this time next year. I mean, I don't know how he can sustain that. He's gonna really he's gonna have to go like thirteen and three and be an MVP candidate to keep those hobby prices. I think he's driven those older football products like twenty fourteen stuff. And um I don't have anything against him. It's just people go nuts. They need to temper their expectations and not freak out. Like Jimmy Garoppolo's not Tom Brady. He's played. He started like eight games. He's done pretty well, but let's just calm down sometimes here. But I mean, it's up to the collectors if they want to spend that. Spend it. I'm not going to stop them, but it's like throwing money into a fire. 
and just hoping hoping for the best. Uh, would you? What do you think is more collectible in terms of value wise? Do you think football or baseball? Because it seems like some of those football, the like high end rookies are maybe a little higher, but I feel like there's more predictability in baseball a little bit. If that makes sense, man. Yeah, um, you know, I would say that uh, it's probably a, a, a push to me because I've had so much so much success with guys like Brady, Breeze, and Rogers, and I know those are the class of the uh, pro football. But I think um, it's it's kind of like um, you don't need to buy vintage football, but you just need to be smart with the players that you do buy. Um, so I would stay away from the rookies. Unless you can get get somebody cheap that you think has a good future and you're not spending crazy amounts for their cards. But um, going back to baseball, um, I think my biggest hits in baseball has been, uh, you know, I did good on the Francisco Lindors, and I've done pretty well with some of the uh, vintage. But I think um, I've done better in football cards. Have you kept up with the, with the Mike Trout market, like his top Yeah, update? yeah. Um, I yeah, just looked yeah. at it the what's, other day, and I was like, "What's it raw hey, now? Is it two hundred? I don't. Know. I just saw PSA tens were gone for like five to six hundred, and I was kind of yeah, stunned. That, those were just about three fifty, right? Yeah, I think in the off season, I picked one up for like two hundred and eighty, and I had like eBay bucks, so I got like twenty eight bucks back on eBay bucks. And I, I mean, he's obviously having a great season, so I was just curious. I just looked, and I was like, "Wait, what?" Should have bought ten of them. Yeah, totally. I think that's like right now we're June fourteenth, so I think if you're gonna buy some football cards, do it right now. You know, wait don't don't wait till August. Uh, stuff's gonna be creeping back up as the hype starts for camp and stuff. So I think it's a great time to get some football cards in, grab some Brady's or Rogers cards. I think they're gonna definitely be a little bit cheaper in the off season. The same goes for baseball. Come December, January even. Grab some uh, baseball cards, buy stuff in the offseason. It's not always that much cheaper. I think people make a bigger deal about that than it really is, but it it is lower a lot of the time. Yeah, and I think it depends what it is. Obviously, if it's like a top-notch, top-of-the-market card, it, it's going to fluctuate a little bit. I will say I think there are a lot of it, – it's a tough time of the year for a lot of people, but I think there's a lot of great deals to be had right after Christmas because generally speaking, a lot of people – spend a ton of money so they're not really in the market to buy stuff and baseball wise you know you have the football postseason coming up so people are in on that so there are a lot of great deals i've seen that you can get on baseball now i'm not necessarily saying you're going to get great vintage stuff or even the top notch uh rookies but if you're into just collecting you know lesser known players or even autographs of different guys i i have noticed you have some opportunities for a couple weeks there and I remember last year seeing Dodger stuff after they had lost the World Series and you were that part of the year. I remember seeing some Dodger stuff just going so crazy cheap. I was like, man, people just definitely don't want to be buying stuff. They're just not thinking about it. They're trying to avoid like remembering that they lost. So I think there's opportunities sometimes with stuff like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question about a player. How do you feel about uh, Judge as an investment long term? Then I'll give you my answer. I mean, long term, I don't think it's uh, great. I think there's probably 
So his stuff, I mean, I haven't studied it real well, but I glanced at a few things, and I know his stuff is down from last year. That's not saying it's not selling well, um, but it's just down because the hype is on Otani and Albies and Acuna and Guerrero, all the current guys. So I, I wouldn't in. I wouldn't go and invest a ton of money in it, but I do think if you can get decent prices, I think there's potential short-term value for it to uh, add should the Yankees reach a World Series, get there, if people are high up on the Yankees, if if he has a big World Series, which is a big if because he's the type of guy who could hit six home runs or he could strike out 19 times and people is, you know just want nothing to do with him. Uh, long-term, I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, I understand there's a lot of Yankees fans out there, and a lot of people enjoy it, and the guy's been incredible. But he is a big frame guy. He is a little older when he came up. I think he's 25, 26. And, yeah, I've seen it with some guys before that their body just breaks down. Like, he's not the type of guy who's going to be real effective at 38. You'd be lucky if he's really effective to 33. So that's kind of my thoughts on it. I think if you're spending, like, five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks, it's – Probably not good. If you're buying ten dollar rookie cards, it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm kind of with the. I'm definitely definitely agree with you on some points about his size and his, the way he's built. Um, and I think Nate Tops eighty five four hundred one kind of touched on this in a video uh, last fall. But um, he's what six five six six about two eighty five. Um, I think it's just going to be tough for him to be as effective as he is now. I mean, even if he's not quite to that level, he could still be a, a good player, but I think um, he's got about five, six years of productive years in him. I think he's going to start to slope downwards and um, you know, I'm kind of with you. I don't think it's wise to spend a ton of money on him, but we could be totally wrong and he could be a 600 home run guy. I don't think that's going to happen because of his age. You know, I think he's already 26. So he yeah, kind of I mean, came up late. You never know. Uh, I think the thing yeah, that he has going say. for him, and that's kind of what my point with the shirt short term, like he could have spikes here and there, is the fact that is a Yankee that is that is huge. If he played for the Detroit Tigers, you know his prices would already be probably half of what they are now, if not even lower. Um, so I I think you know if the Yankees going to run here, which is possible because they have a hell of a lot of really good offensive players, if they get enough pitching, I mean. They look like the type of team, and they have to compete with Boston. They maybe could reach the World Series three, four times in the next few years. I mean, I think there's room for growth on him potentially, but you know, I still don't think it's wise uh, long term. I mean, I think Cody Bellinger stuff's really cheap, and he still has a lot to prove too. But I mean, contrary to Judge, he's only 22 now. Will he be able to keep up the productivity of last year? I don't know. I mean, he's got 12 homers this year, but I mean, he's a guy who's 22 years old. He has 51 career home runs. You know, it all depends on what kind of pace he keeps. But you know, I I've agreed with points that you've made in the past where you know you want to look at the guys who are a little younger, and just because you're younger doesn't mean you're going to be a better player. You can fall off a cliff too. Um, but I think if you're looking for long term. The guys who are younger, you know, they're going to have more opportunities to kind of build on that resume. Exactly. Guys that can, you know, have have a chance at 3,000 hits or 450, 500 home runs or, you know, um, hitting those uh, milestone numbers. I think it's, you know, guys like uh, Lindor and Correa who both came up young, uh, 
great. I think he was only 19 and Lindor was about 21. So I think, I mean, guys like that, just they have a chance to build, build their uh, resume up so much more. And I think they just, to me, they, they're so much, so much more appealing than a guy that gets called up at 25. Yeah. And again, if judge dominates for 10 years, just because you come up older, doesn't mean you don't have a shot at being a hall of fame player. It just decreases your overall odds. I mean, if he dominates baseball for 10 years and you know, the Yankees win three, four world series, he plays a big part in two or three of them. He hits 400 home run. Like he can still be a hall of fame player. It's just, the likelihood is, I mean, I've seen it with a guy like Ryan Howard and, you know, I think judge probably a little better than Howard, but I mean, Howard had a few really good years, but then eventually he got hurt and he just never recovered. And his stuff is like insanely cheap now. I mean, you could basically have people giving it away, but um, obviously I'm going to harp on the Phillies a little bit because I kind of watched his entire career, but you look at Ryan Howard and when he came up, I mean, he was a 300 hitter, he hitting 50 home runs. I mean, he was really good, but he just couldn't adjust to the shift. He couldn't um, stay healthy. And his numbers really dwindled after about, I don't know, I want to say like three really good years. He just, you know, and that's what you have with some of these bigger guys where if those numbers fall off significantly, they're probably not going to recover. Yeah, I'm taking a quick look at his stats. In 2006, he won. He was 58 with 149 RBIs, and he won the MVP. So uh, he had a couple more good years, and like you said, he tailed off and uh, stopped playing at 36. So, I, I mean, he had a great career, though, 300, 382 home runs. That's a good career. No, you'll, you'll certainly take that. I think that's a thing that we lose. Yeah, we lose in the career. hobby sometimes because people want the Hall of Famers. They want – they want the guys with the massive value. And sometimes you have to take a step back and be like, that dude was a really good baseball player. He yeah. wasn't one of the best of all time, but he was really good for a while. And, you know, made, uh, you know, had some big seasons, made a lot of memories for people and, you know, played a big role in a lot of games. So, you know, you can say that about just so many players out there. Um, and guys just wear out guys fall off. Totally. It's, it's hard to be effective for forever, you know. No doubt. So we've been yapping for a while, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, you have a few minutes to answer a few questions from uh, from viewers of or from listeners of the podcast. All right. So I had made a video on YouTube and asked people to, you know, provide some questions. So I'll roll through some of them. We'll give kind of our thoughts on it. First up, we have coming from Matt, who is passion for cards on youtube he wants to know how we determine uh what we do and don't grade like when is it cost and time effective to prepare send grade when does it you know when does all that effort outweigh the benefits of uh getting it done um you know i would say with that um have a plan in place on stuff that you, that you want to get slabbed is it stuff you're going to keep is it stuff you're going to you know try to flip for 10, 12 bucks, you know, um, you, you just kind of have to know the price of the, uh, secondary market and stuff that you are slabbing. If a card in a PSA 10 sells for eight, nine bucks, I mean, the best case scenario is if you do sell it, you're going to break even. So is that worth it to you? Are you grading it to keep it? Um, it, it totally, it's all about the set. And if you are going to keep the card to me, um, I think you can touch on that a little bit too. 
Yeah, I think, you know, if it's a player you like, a player you collect, it's not going to necessarily have great value, but it'll be worth it from that perspective because you're doing it for your collection. For me, I like to do stuff as I go. When I open a product, I kind of like to pull out certain rookie cards, maybe a few inserts here and there of certain players, and I like to just go through them. And, you know, with the modern stuff, with stuff like that that I know is not going to command super high prices, that's where I try to be kind of picky, and I'm just like, you know what, this if I see something right away, I'll just toss it aside. If I see whether it's off-center or or a scuff, but it is time consuming. It, it takes a lot of time to prepare the orders, to pick out the cards, to evaluate the cards. And, you know, there's certain guys that, you know, you can kind of prospect that way. You pull out some rookie cards and think, okay, this guy looks like he's having a good season. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. You have a guy like Alex Bregman last year. He's, he's not real expensive, but they were in the world series last year. So there was a demand for them. Um, so, he was worth doing it last year to me with a lot of the products. And then you've got like Yon Mankata who I got stuff graded and have been kind of waiting for him to maybe at some point break out or get some attention. And that just kind of hasn't happened to this point. So I don't know. I'll just yeah, kind of, playing. I, I just usually have players in place for, and that's kind of my plan, either players or that that's kind of how I go about it. Yeah, like when I'm grading cards, it's always in, in tiers. Like, you know, cards that are only worth 50 cents to a dollar, which we often get slabbed. Um, a card like that, I, I want it to look perfect when I send it off. Now a card that I paid $20, $25 for, I'm a lot, a lot more, uh, less strict on those. You know, if it has a corner that's not perfect, I'll, I'll still send it. It's, just, it's all about how, to me, it's all about how, how much did I spend on the card? How much is the card worth? Um, a card that, say, a $150 card that looks pretty good, I'm going to send it just because I want it slabbed. All right, our next question is coming from It Come Off a Egg there on uh, YouTube, and he wants to know uh, if you get modern cards back from PSA that are under a 9, do you crack the card out of the case or keep it raw? Um, for me personally, I have never cracked a card I got graded out of the case. Um, I have bought a few autographs that were uh, authenticated by a different company, and I cracked them open and sent them off to PSA DNA. Um, but to me, if I get something that I'm not happy with, I usually just sell it cheap, get some money back for it, let someone add it to their collection, because a lot of people just want it slabbed, and they'll accept an 8 or a 9 or whatever. I don't think I've ever gotten anything under an 8, but... I don't know if you've well, really ever cracked anything or if you think it's worth it. Um, you know, I'll, I'm, I've, I've had a few of those sixes and stuff. So just when you totally miss something on the card and if it's like a six, I'll snap it. But aside from that, you know, I'll just sell like sevens and eights. And a lot of the time, what I was talking about before, a lot of people just want to buy this lab and want to have a card that's, you know, authenticated by PSA and you, you really won't do too bad on it if you just put it put it on ebay and just wait for a little don't don't put it in auction it's going to go for 99 cents plus shipping just wait be patient get five six bucks back for it and move on to the next card got a few questions on the national here those back pages thinks it would be cool if we uh, spread the word about the national and how important it is for collectors to at some point attend a national and then dave's midlife card crisis thinks that a national podcast needs to happen um, which I agree on, and I've thought about Dave. Uh, I would like to do it. I don't currently have a laptop that's not 12 years old, so 
if someone has a laptop, I can bring out uh, some other equipment. And I, I have been thinking for a while that it would be neat to do a live podcast from the National, but it all kind of depends on how time plays out because you go into a National thinking you're going to have three, four days, and then you go to the show, and then you hang out with people, and then next thing you know, you're, the National's over. So you got to plan well ahead of time to do that. Yeah, I think it'd be um, definitely be awesome to get all the YouTubers together and do a podcast with all of them. Um, I mean, I have a laptop that's about five or six years old that I could uh, bring out there and we could get some other people together. It'd definitely be a lot of fun, though. It would be interesting. So it's a possibility. We're not going to announce anything definite, but it would be interesting. What's the worst product of 2018? Matt Lavender wants to know. I don't know if there's... Uh, Baseball? Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't. I guess football just started coming out. What's come out? Score and like yeah. luminescence or yeah, I'm not gonna something. Yeah, the worst product of 2018. Um, God, I'm trying to think of what I truly think is the worst product that's come out so far. Um, it's I don't know. It's probably like tier one. Honestly, I don't know. And I'm only saying that because it's so expensive. What do you think, Mike? I haven't really had a problem with any of the base releases, like Tops, all that stuff, Gypsy Queen, Heritage. I mean, I think they are what they are. I do think knowing that you have these other rookies like Torres and Acuna coming up, um, I think it kind of hurts the early season products because now people are going to be chasing those players who aren't in them. But I haven't had a lot of problems with the products. I haven't done much Tier 1. I usually like those cards, but I certainly don't think they're worth breaking based on what I've watched in a few breaks. So we'll see. There's still a lot of time left in the year. I'm sure, I'm sure a stinker will uh, will fly through at some point. Well, yeah, if, if you count the products that don't have the logos, I'd say like Diamond Kings. But if, if that's in the running, definitely any product made by Panini for baseball. Cause there's yeah, no see, logos. I didn't even think those. <laughs> so, like, I'm not yeah, into I, the Donner's product. Even, I know a few years ago I liked the Donners football, but the Donners baseball I just I can't do. They have like eight thousand variations, and they like weird. They just have so much weird stuff. So I'll vote for Donners two thousand eighteen baseball. Yeah, all right. we we can agree on that. Yeah, that that's that's just weird. I can't even I can't even do it. Pepino man, nah, the legend himself, nah. wants to know what the lowest grade uh, we've ever received on a card. Thinking we thought it, thinking it was a ten. If we sent something in, we thought it was a ten, and it came back. What, what's the lowest grade you've ever gotten? <laughs> um, thinking like truly thinking it's a ten. Uh, I, I think a five. I, I think I've gotten some fives in like on the back um, surface. I think there was like a crease that I didn't see, and I thought it was perfect. That that's happened more than once to me. I'm not as. Uh, uh, clean of a grader as Mike, but I try to do my best. I think I got an eights before, but I mean, I, they were like not difficult cards to grade. So I don't know what I missed on them. I think I had a, what's his name? TJ Watt. I think just like a regular optic card that I was like, ah, if it's a 10, it might be okay next year. He's popular with the Steelers and it might've come either came back an eight. Maybe it came back a seven, five. I forget, but I remember just being like, huh, I missed something. And yeah. speaking of Mickey Moniak, I know I got an eight on some card of him one time, and I was like, well, that card's now a dollar probably. <laughs> we got a few coming in from Chris Joyce. Uh, 
if a collector were to have a highly coveted one of one card graded, would the value stature of the card be hurt by low grade? Uh, I personally would say probably yes. I don't know that a one of one's really worth getting graded unless it's a 10 if it's a modern product. I mean, I guess a nine would be considered acceptable. Otherwise, I mean, unless you really just want to have it slabbed, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't um, know if you have a thought on it. Yeah, I've, I've actually had some one of one slabbed. And to me, I, I don't think anything less than a nine is worth it. I think when you get an eight or an eight five or anything lower, you're, you're taken away from the one of the one at one of one aspect of the card having that uh, one of one is kind of the main thing with the card and then a grade is kind of like gravy so if you're getting a seven on i think it just it looks bad and then chris also wants to know if you snap a low graded card um from its case to sell or trade raw do you feel a moral obligation to disclose that it was previously graded i mean i've never snapped a card because i've never had a card that i thought was worth doing that with but maybe you can speak more to that um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't think you have to. Um, there's been times where I've snapped a card and taken a close look at it. And my thing, if, if you, if you buy from my store, if there's like a major flaw, I'll always put it in the list, you know, you know, I'll put like has a crease on the back of the card or, um, has a very bad surface scratch. But if you're breaking out at seven or eight and you take a look at it, and it looks like a, your mint, mint card, that's what the people that are buying are, are looking for. I think you're, you're fine. But I think when, when the cards are flawed and you don't tell that to the buyer, you're kind of, you're not doing, you're not being uh, nice to the buyer who expects a card that's not in terrible condition. And then he's also asking what our thoughts are on raffles because they're big in the hobby. Um, people love to, uh, you know, sell 10 spots for a card and do that. I don't, I don't know if you really practice that much. I don't know. Um, I know it's like big. In, I know it's big. The, what's that? Yeah. Raz people are big into that Raz in thing? the face, in the Facebook um, groups. I mean, I've never, I've bought some spots before. I've never actually like, sold cards that way. So, I mean, it's kind of like group you know, breaks a, in a way. Yeah. I think it's the exact same thing. It's actually a decent way to get stuff moved. And I think, um, if people want to buy the spots and the person selling it is getting paid and they want to get some stuff moved, I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, as long as you're doing it in a trustworthy group or with a group of people or someone you know, I I, I think it's just another way to kind of have a little fun with the hobby. As long as you're not spending crazy amount of money on it, you can potentially add a really nice card to your collection that you otherwise maybe not couldn't afford, so... Again, it, it's all about who you deal with. You you should know who you're dealing with. Uh, Chris Brown, Christopher Brown, when it comes to grading cards, Chrome specifically, when it's sent in, do you agree with the suggestion not to mail them in magnetics for concern of surface issues where the card could be scratched in the magnetic? Um, never ship a card in a magnetic to be slabbed. Um, one, the card rattles around like a baby rattle and uh yeah i think the card could be affected um i would just take it out get it the surface clean put it in a card saver one or a top loader if you do use a top loader that's that's what i've been using recently uh make sure to tape it shut where you uh, run the risk of the card coming out of the top loader so i think just be uh safe when you're sending your cards off because they are going across the country 
Yeah, and you should always tape the top loaders if you use them, and more so, and I think you've shown this in a video before, Nolan, you want to press down the top loader and tape it, so <laughs> taping the top loader together. I got a uh, card the other day in a PWE, and the guy like slapped the tape on it, and the card was taped to the, like, yep. it taped the card, and I was like, time. what, you're in... So like, why are you doing that, buddy? But the second step is the the pinch and tape. You got to pinch and then tape. Yeah, for sure. You want to keep the card from moving, not just prevent the card from falling out of the holder. But yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't send cards in magnetics. I mean, I keep stuff in magnetics sometimes. I have some cards in there, but not a crazy amount. But I've never shipped a card in magnetic. I still use the uh, card saver method with PSA. But, you know, you certainly obviously don't have to do that. Uh, Rivenwood wants to know, is the hobby like a game of hot potato? Someone will be left holding the bag when the hobby dies out. I mean, you can speak to this first if you want, Nolan. Say that question again. He says, is the hobby like a game of hot potato? Someone will be left to hold the bag when the hobby dies out. I mean, I don't know exactly where this question's going, but I don't see the hobby dying out if he's talking about like a player that you've bought too much of and you're left with all the cards like that's me and me and robert griffin um i still hold about 50 of his slab cards in my store um i sell maybe three a year <laughs> so in about 30 years i'll have those also but i i think the hobby's the hobby's here to stay i mean guys i mean products have been pumped out for the last even after the junk wax era, and let's think of all the products that have come out in the last 16 years or 20 years even. I mean, it's not going anywhere. There's always going to be people watching baseball and wanting to break products. I think uh, sites like Breakers TV offers people to get in on cases and group breaks. And it's just that, that to me, the hobby seems strong. All, all the cards listed, all the people collecting, all the people that attend the national. I think it's as, as strong as ever. Yeah, there's no doubt. This is a hobby that's been around for a long time. I mean, they started making cards in general in the late 1800s. It became more mainstream in the 1940s, 1950s, and it's been going ever since. There's going to be ups and downs like with anything, uh, but I certainly, I've seen a resurgence in the hobby. I've seen more people interested in the hobby. I think it can depend on, you know, who's involved in the hobby, what there is to offer. I think the amount of young players in baseball specifically has drawn an increased interest. I think hot players like an Aaron Judge, like an Otani, uh, I think get people's attention. I just personally know a lot of people who used to collect like when they were younger and they haven't done it in a while, and they, they know I'm into it, and they've approached me, like just friends of mine who probably don't even know I have YouTube channels or doing a podcast at this point. But, like, they'll approach <laughs> me and start talking about it. I'm like, hey, do you still do this? You know, I've been getting into it a little bit. Or maybe they have kids that are getting into it. So I think the hobby's growing again. Uh, I don't think it'll ever end, but I'm sure at some point they'll things might tail off for a little while but i think at some point people will be back on it christopher's cool cards wants to know how many years we've collected uh i probably start collecting when i was like eight so i don't know 20 28 years if i can do math something like that off and on at points and times but you know pretty strong for a while um let's see i started collecting in 1989 so i was about five and that was just Don Rust stuff. Bob Lewis wants to know uh, 
our thoughts on how induction or potential induction to the Hall of Fame can affect a player's interest in the hobby? Um, you know, I think there is going to be a spike, you know, not a crazy spike there. I mean, as I think right before Vlad does his speech, maybe his stuff will go up 10 or 20 percent. But I don't think it's like this crazy um, market change that people always talk about when they go to the Hall of Fame. Because if you think about it, people already know he's getting in. You know, there's players that are still in the majors now. Like we know that Beltre is going to get in. And does that cause his cars to just go crazy? No. So, I mean, I think there's a little room but I, I don't like when Griffey got uh inducted in 2016 his cards went up a little bit but they've just dropped back right right to where they were before yeah I think there's definitely a spike in interest even if it's temporary I think it can have depend player to player as well uh I think the more the spike is more in during a point of a guy's career at a certain point people start to realize a guy's gonna be a hall of famer and that's where i think you see interest will grow i think that happened with beltray a few years ago i think his stuff yeah. was you know fairly cheap and then at a certain point people went oh this guy's gonna achieve this this and this and it kind of snowballed from there and now his uh chrome rookies have elevated a bit so i think that's more where it happens i have seen um and an increase overall in uh, Jim Tomey over the last few years as well. I mean, he's a guy who was putting up the numbers for a while, but I, I think his stuff, specifically his rookies, his Bowman rookie, uh, definitely were mm-hmm. affected in a positive way. But at this point now, I think they're at the price they're going to be. I mean, I'm sure extra people will purchase those cards right around induction time, but like you said, it's a temporary bump. Um, but being a Hall of Famer certainly increases the people's desire to collect your cards for sure but that happens over course of years yeah i think that like the next wave of collectors here in like 20 years when they're told about tome and vlad you know they didn't see him play um i think that's when you get some more people hopping on the bad bandwagon like me i, I never saw a man play live but i'm only 33 but i'd collect his cards i think that's what's cool about baseball and hall of famers and then Bob also wants to know uh, opinions on set registries, how they've changed the hobby, and certainly the PSA ones have increased the have changed the hobby a bit. They've added some increased interest, and you know there's only a small percentage of people who slab cards, and there's a smaller percentage of people in the hobby that are involved in set registries. But those people who are are generally very competitive, and they're looking to add to their registries. So it's certainly helped with different players, different sports. I think that's where you've seen um, an increase in interest in some ways for the Hall of Famers. And then you have the top 300 cards by Mike Payne. Um, That's one of those where there's cards in that set that are, you know, of Hall of Famers and legendary cards. And there's other cards that are a little silly, but they're kind of cool cards still. And probably no one would collect those cards, specifically grade it if they weren't in that book. So that book alone has increase the value of a bunch of cards that otherwise would be probably lost in the shuffle and forgotten. Yeah. uh, My thing with the PSA registry is I'm not going to go out of my way and spend money on cards that I don't like. Like I'm not going to buy a Griffey card or a LeBron James card. If if I don't truly like the card, like I'm not just going to buy a nine or a 10 just to, um, get a better rating on the registry it's got to be cards that i like and then if i do happen to have a good rating then that's 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 good too but i, I think um 
it's just my opinion. You shouldn't buy cards you don't really like just to get a higher move up on their registry. I think that's kind of kind of weird. Yeah, and I follow a lot of people who are in this set registries. The only one I've personally done is I started doing 1989 Tops um, Hall of Famers. And I mainly did it just to kind of get involved in the registries. And quite honestly, there's not a single card in that set that's probably more than like 20 bucks as a PSA 10. Um, and I like 89 tops. It's a classic set to me. It's this first set that I really was really involved in. So, um, to me, it's more of a memory thing, but obviously some of those registries are just off the charts expensive, but I just think it's another aspect to the hobby. And I think it's a positive one. So we have uh, Henry S. He wants to know how many binders do people have for their collection? He's closing on 80 or more. And that's a, awful lot of binders me personally i probably have like i don't know i might have 20 i'm not even sure i didn't count them but i think binders are a good thing i uh i did them when i was a kid then i kind of got out of them didn't really pay attention to them and now i i think it's a good way to display certain cards you know i'm not going to keep super expensive cards or pristine cards in there but uh, i i think it's a good way to kind of have have some fun and either put players or teams together, or just different cards from different years. Yeah, I would say I've got about 25 to 30 binders right now. And it's, you know, I don't put anything too expensive in them. But, you know, like I have a Griffey one that I like to only put one card of, like every card in there is unique. So there's not like 10 1990 Donruss's in there. Um, there's just, um, a, and it's, it, it, it's fun. It's, it's um, you don't have to worry about grading and all that. You're just kind of putting cards in pages and flipping through them later on. So it's definitely a fun, definitely a fun part of the hobby. And it's definitely an easy way to enjoy the cards to just, like you said, just kind of flip through and you can either do that on your own and just look at it and reminisce about baseball or the hobby or just looking at the cards. And it's a good way to kind of share it with other people from time to time when that opportunity, should that arise, it's a great way to be like, Hey, check these out. And you can kind of, spread the word about the hobby a little bit, but we just have a few, few more here real quick. Uh, Yankees win wants to know if you had to choose between modern and vintage, what would you choose and why? Um, I think it's hard to choose one or the other. Uh, I certainly, I certainly have way more modern than vintage. Um, I would like to add more vintage to the collection for sure. But, uh, you know, they all, they all have their aspects. Um, I mean, that's, I don't know if I can even answer that because I'd be so sad to give up modern or vintage. Um, God, I don't know. I'd probably stay with the modern just because I could track players that are still playing. And that's the only reason, but I have so much fun with the vintage and I, I wouldn't want to give up either, but if I had to, um, that's kind of the, what I would probably do. But yeah, I mean, I think modern cards day. are, modern cards are what you and I, you know, they're the players we've grown up and are currently watching, uh, the vintage is more like the fairy tale guys, the guys we've heard of from um, relatives or through the people totally. talking about the history of baseball. So it's really cool. And it'll be interesting to see what the thought process is for people 50 years from now. Because at that point, like, you're still going to hear about some of those guys that played back in the 50s and stuff. But I don't know. There won't be people to talk about how they watched them right now. You have still people around who are like, I remember watching this guy. I remember going and seeing Sandy Koufax pitch. So be interesting. He wants to know any advice for getting into vintage. Uh, Would you choose a specific set registry or just pick up players you enjoy? And my opinion is 
you just start by picking up guys you enjoy, teams you enjoy. I mean, I, I'm working on a project. I just have a couple more cards I need. I'm putting together every Phillies base tops card they've ever put out from 1951 through 2018. I think it's a real fun binder project. Um, so, you know, that's how I kind of start it. I, I have a few vintage cards. I don't have as much as I'd like. I do want to pick up a few Ted Williams cards. So it's just, you know, obviously a great player, a player, uh, I like, um, you know, but I think you just start by picking up players or teams or, uh, just cards in general that appeal to you. I don't, I don't think you have to force yourself into some certain registry. No, you don't have to do that. And you don't have to buy the PSA sevens or eights or the, the vintage either. Cause they're so expensive. Um, even if I mean, I've, I own some PSA threes that I love cause the card looks great still. And it's not, you know, it's not even close to mint, but, um, grab some threes, some fours, some fives, and just have fun with it. Check the market, try to get decent deals and just, um, enjoy the hobby. <laughs> yeah. It's all about what the card kind of looks like, what the appeal is. I mean, I agree with your statement yeah. there. I mean, I wanted to pick up a Jackie Robinson and then, um, uh, my local card shop a couple times a year, they run, um, an auction and they had a, uh, Reggie Jackson what was, or not Reggie Jackson, uh, Jackie Robinson. I forget offhand. I think it's a 54, um, 54 or 56. I, I don't know. I forget offhand right now, but it had a tear in it. Like it had a piece of the card missing on the bottom, but it still looked cool. It had a history to it. And I got it for like 10 bucks. And I, I sent That's it great. into PSA just to get it slabbed. And I just said, just want this authenticated. I have it slabbed as authentic. And it's like, who cares? Like I'm like the opposite. I know a lot of people are crazy into the condition of the vintage. Um, to me, the modern stuff, I want perfect because it should be perfect because it's brand new. The vintage stuff, it's going to show where it's been loved. They were used as toys played with. Obviously, I don't want one where a kid drew a mustache on Mickey Mantle, and I'd rather not have scribble <laughs> on it. And, you know, I like to avoid certain things. To me, with vintage, and this is just my personal opinion, I actually care most about the centering. I hate when cards are crazy miscut. I personally don't even care if the corners are raw round it to a degree it just doesn't bother me if it's a 60 year old card so if i can get it at a great price you know i still think it could be a nice addition to the collection and as you mentioned nolan you know you can get threes and they can look really good um you know they're not going to be perfect but that's what happens when a card bounces around and isn't protected you know when it comes out you know 50 years before top loaders or soft sleeves or even a thought and then uh, our final question is from James Wong, who wants to know if exclusive licenses will ever go away. I don't know your thoughts, Nolan, but I would say no way. I'm kind of the optimist, and I kind of would think that possibly, but I think the way things are set up now, I think it's going to be this way for a while. I don't know uh, how much longer Tops has the baseball license, but they've had it for a while now, and uh, that's the way it is now in the hobby. You know, I, I, I try to just take the positives out of it. Like each company does make solid products and you just have to try to enjoy those products. Um, obviously, I miss like SP Authentic Football. I think those cards were, were amazing. But as a collector, there's nothing you can do about it but just buy the older ones and think about days where you had six, seven companies making cards. It doesn't mean they are all made good cards, but it was nice to have different things to choose from. Yeah, it was absolutely nice to have the choice and the competition. 
and Upper Deck certainly made some great stuff over the years. I mean, I would love to see it come back and be that way. I'm not saying we need seven or eight companies, but to have Upper Deck, Panini, Tops all competing would be really nice. I just don't see it happening. Uh, I think Tops has it. They either have it through 2019 or 2020, so their deal runs out sooner rather than later. I know there's been a lot of talk, if you kind of read between the lines, about Tops potentially being up, that, putting that division of the company up for sale. So we'll see if someone else is going to end up buying Tops. If they're if that's just not going to happen, you know, there's an outside chance Panini would certainly be a candidate. So we'll see what the future holds for sports cards. I personally doubt it's going to go back to kind of a free-for-all but again you never know um i'd love to see it return to the older days but we'll see so our last comment there's no question here but we'll give a shout out to a buddy of both of ours eastern connecticut sports cards just said he can't wait to hear us two of his favorite dudes so a little compliment there from our buddy michael (laughs) thanks man Definitely appreciate it, Mike. I've enjoyed uh, enjoyed his channel. I'm happy to see him continue to make content. Nolan, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, so. This has been a quite a long episode. We went a little over that hour I mentioned, but it was a lot of fun. I think we went close to two, close to two hours, so that was pretty epic. Yeah, it was a long episode, so hopefully uh, you guys <laughs> enjoyed the episode. Uh, as always, you can listen for free on SoundCloud. You can download for free on iTunes. You can check it out on YouTube. Feel free to uh, share the podcast to other collectors out there. Feel free to give some feedback and comments and all that stuff. Really appreciate everyone listening and appreciate Nolan joining me today. Check out his eBay store. Check out his uh, YouTube channel, Eliteco3. You will learn a lot about the hobby, and it's just a lot of great content. So again, Nolan, appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on today. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Talk to you next time. Mm